This podcast is a ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Hatfield, Pennsylvania. And now, the message. Ever since I was young, because I was raised around women, I really liked the lady folk. So ever since I was a teen, like, I made it my point to always try to go after them. So I remember it was my first day in youth group high school. And I had done all right in middle school. I had had a few girlfriends in middle school. I think like two. And I was like, all right, time for the big leagues. Here we go. I had no game plan. No, I showed up at high school youth because I was homeschooled, so I didn't go to school. So this was my best shot at, at getting a girl. So I show up, no plan, I just kind of circled the room. We had about 100 kids, so, that, so I was kind of unnoticed. This is a horrible plan. I looked like a creep. Like, okay, so let me go hang out over here in the side, and I just, I'm just hanging out. I have no friends, complete loser, right? But I notice there's this little haggle of girls over there. And they're giggling and pointing and looking at me. I thought, oh, okay, all right. Maybe the good old Nick Charm's working, okay? So I'm just play cool, Nick. Play cool. Just stay here. That's fine. Then one breaks off from the herd and starts coming towards me. Now I'm like, okay. Oh, my hands are in my pocket. I'm gonna keep them dry. Keep them dry. Very cool. And she's looking at me. I'm like, she is coming towards me. And she goes, comes up to me, approaches me, and I have no clue, guys. I have no game. I have no idea what I'm gonna say. And she comes up to me, and she's like, Hey, I just wanted you to know that your fly is down. <laughs> Guys, I looked down. My fly wasn't just down. It was like a portal, like an open I was like, and I tiny whiteies, I was like a beam of light to the audience. So it was a little bit until I snagged my first high school girl. Um, so that kind of followed me. I, went, I remember going into Bible college and thinking my first year of Bible college, okay, all right. Let's see what the landscape is like here. And uh, aren't you so glad you picked me to be your pastor? (laughs) Wonderful guy. Um, (laughs) So I go to Bible college, and there was this one girl that all the guys were like, ooh, she's it. And I was like, oh, man. Like, okay, guys, I'm going to go after her, which in Bible college terms means I'm going to ask her on a walk at night. That is it. That is what it means to go after a girl, okay? Maybe you'll sit on a bench and talk, you will not touch, but you, it, that means you made, pro- that was a date, okay? You are pretty much almost married at that point. So, so I remember telling the guys, okay, I'm gonna go up to this girl and, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm gonna ask her tonight. And they all looked at me, oh, Nick, you can't, you can't ask her. Dude, no, she she follows Jesus. <laughs> I'm like, what are you talking about? I follow Jesus? Like, no, 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 you don't understand. She like like she makes sacrifice. She does what the word says. Okay, like makes sacrifices in her life. Oh, I make sacrifices. 
Nick, what sacrifices did you I came to Bible college. <laughs> I sacrificed my popularity and my career by coming to Bible college. And they said, and this is the first time I was introduced to this term. And they said, Nick, no, no, you're, you're, not only are you a freshman and really young, but you're more of like a fan of Jesus. She's a follower of Jesus. And you're not going to get a follower of Jesus. Because a follower of Jesus is different than a fan of Jesus. And that was when the gears started shifting and the gears started turning for me. And, uh, you know, God bless Mike. I was in his office all the time with girl issues, all the time. Um, and, and, and he helped me through. But that was the first time that I was introduced to this idea that there is kind of like these two different categories of people that follow or claim to follow Jesus. We have the fans and we have the followers. And so, and, and, and if this sounds familiar, we are actually doing this series downstairs in Axis with our youth. It's really awesome. They're up here today joining us, which is pretty cool. And um, the series is called Not a Fan, and it's by Kyle Eidelman. And so he gets all the credit for the title, Not a Fan, but a follower. He gets all the credit, but today we're actually not going to use any of his stuff. We're going to use just the Word of God to talk about what that looks like and what Jesus says that looks like. But before we start, I thought you guys might want to see a little clip of what goes on downstairs in Axis and see if you can identify any of the kids. This was our first Access morning. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. We got some followers down there. Let's check it out. Here we got Sam. talking about fan, not a follower. So I thought it would be kind of these three categories. It's more than two, it's three. And so I wrote some of them down because I really like whiteboards. And I like teaching this way. Let's do this. Okay. And so the first category kind of here, we have the, I don't know, you got to recognize that not everybody knows where they fall, right? So some people are like, you know, I, I, I don't like Jesus, I'm not a fan of Jesus at all, I'm all the way over there. But the people that come to church generally are in one of these three categories. Either they, uh-oh, I have to use my dance skills to have you. Either they don't know, like they heard about it, and they're not sure, or they know about Jesus, but they're kind of not sure where their heart is. Like, I don't know if I'm ready to commit my heart to it. So we have that whole category that we just have to recognize is there. But then we have the fan, and when you think about the fan, you think about the enthusiastic admirer, right? And I love this, because when you think, like, oh, Jesus, we want to be enthusiastic admirers. But oftentimes, what that means for a fan is it means you are an enthusiastic admirer from afar. 
And, and one of the best immediate contexts for this is a sports fan. They're enthusiastic admirers of their teams from where? Living room, couches, stands. They're not on the field. And when the team is doing great, I mean, they're huge into their team, super passionate from afar. It's not a part of change, but enjoys it. Do the fans really impact the win? Not really. Are the fans really a part of all that goes into the change and dynamics of a team, of a mission, the people that are cheering from afar? Not really. But they love to enjoy it. Like things going well, ooh, I'm there. That's me. That's my team. They're doing great. This is huge. This is huge. Right here. This is more personal. Fans will put expectations on others. So, things aren't going well. Team's not doing good. You as the fan, what do you have to say? Yeah. <laughs> You're going to tell them what your expectations are. You're going to tell them what they did wrong. You're going to tell them how it could have been all better. But are you going to get close enough to change any of those things that you're going to tell them that they should have done? You're going to put expectations on others. It's a natural thing to put expectations on others. Real quick, let's look at the follower. Makes meaningful sacrifices due to the proximity to the mission. The follower gets the idea that I need to do, insert, this sacrifice because I know what the mission is. And, and for this context, you can think player. Players know what they need to do for to get the win because they're so close to the mission. In fact, a player is making constant communication with its teammates and with its leader daily. Is the fan doing that? Impacts change. The follower is in intimately a part of the change in the mission. When the mission is changing, they are intimately a part of it. I was a part of that. I was there. I, I, I rolled the stone away. Like I was there. Love that story in Lazarus, where Jesus says, I want you to roll the stone away. This guy raises Lazarus from the dead, and you can't roll a stone away? <laughs> Why does he do that? Those people that rolled the stone away said, I was there. I was a part of Lazarus coming up from the dead. I rolled the stone away. They were intimately a part of impacting change. Followers, big one. Supposed to be expectations there. I don't know how that got left out. <laughs> Their expectations come from the Lord. Psalm 62.5, my hope is in the Lord. That's a great psalm to talk about. Where your expectations come from. Distinctive difference. Naturally, our expectations are going to come from people in this world, from systems in this world, from relationships in this world. That's okay. That's natural. When we understand, and this is all I'm asking, when we understand that our expectations and our hope are supposed to come from the Lord, we don't always get that. But when we understand that, game changer. Game changer. Because when the world starts failing us, we go, whoa, 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 wait. All my hope, all my expectations are supposed to come from you, and you don't fail. 
and you don't fail. So, okay, I'm not there yet, but that's where I'm supposed to be. So I don't have to pursue this route where I'm a little vindictive, I'm a little upset at these people because my expectations come from the Lord. Now, don't get carried away. This, these are characteristics. We could, anybody could fake this. Anybody, I mean, you could be enthusiastic and be a father. These are general characteristics. We're going to actually talk about and discover from the Word of God what makes a fan a fan and a follower a follower. So if you have your Bibles, open up with me to John chapter 6. Oh, I have a clicker. Oh, hold on. <laughs> Okay, let's read together. This is so cool. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. That is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing those who were ill. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Okay, so, first question. Does God test us? Does God test us? My, my response to that wants to be, oh, Jesus? That little baby major Jesus. He loves us. Oh, throughout scripture, guys, God has shown testing us. And the tests generally come from, generally come from things that seem improbable to us. Sometimes they're miraculous. Sometimes we need a, a huge God-side miracle. But a lot of times the tests come to things that seem improbable to us. Moses is a great example. I can't lead these people because I can't speak. Could he speak? Yes. He could speak. It seemed really improbable to him that the results were going to be successful. And so he didn't think that he could do it. It was a test. Who gave you your voice, Moses? Who made you? Did you really think you were going to lead this entire mission off your wit? So does God test us? We have a resounding yes to that test. Resounding yes. What, is the, what do those tests look like? They're probably things that are improbable to you or seem improbable for you to go through. Would God ever test a group of people by, by attempting two church bodies to come together as one. Would that ever be a test of God? <laughs> I love it. Okay. Um, so, let's... So, he asked this to Philip. Okay, oh, imagery. So, he's going to feed the people, right? This is huge. And we really don't get this, right? So, if some guy was coming around and was like, hey, here's some free bread, we'd be like, okay, <laughs> where'd you get the bread from? You know, like, is it from discount market? I'm okay, I'm good. We don't really get the, the, the fact that Jesus is healing the sick. We have doctors, we have medicine, and he's, 
So they didn't have those then. So I was trying to think of the imagery of why these people, like if we could understand why these people were crowding and pressing into Jesus. If Jesus was here today, it's kind of, not, and, and this is just all me, it's not theological or anything, but if Jesus was here and he was giving away free iPhone 7s before they came out, I already saw how many people line up for them when they're there and they're paying for them. If he was just giving them away for free, how many people would be there? Lots and lots and lots of people. What if it was free cars? We had a huge transport issue and Jesus shows up on the scene and gives away free cars. And everyone's like, yeah, free cars, let's go. That kind of urgency. Now, and so we don't understand their need with food and everything because we have food. Um, we have a lot of food. We throw out a lot of food. But that's, that's kind of the context of what's going on here. So let's go ahead. Let's keep reading. I'm going to skip over to the next part. Philip answered him. It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But, but, how far will they go among so many? <coughs> Jesus said, make the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. And he did the same with the fish. Okay, question. Did Philip pass the test? He was being tested. We have a pass or fail. What do you think? Pass? How many people think Philip passed the test? <laughs> Philip didn't pass the test. Philip failed the test. What was his... How does he view the problem? Does he view the problem as an opportunity? So Philip's looking at this, and he does not. He does not view this problem. He does not view this trial as an opportunity. He looks at this problem as, how do I solve this problem? Another distinctive of a follower and a fan. A fan is going to say, okay, problem, how do I solve it? Who's responsible? Trial, how do I solve it? Who's responsible? Who sinned, this man or his parents? Follower is going to see this as an opportunity for God to work. All I'm asking is that we, that we identify that. A father, we may not, it may take us a while to actually believe that when a problem comes in our life and we say, yay, opportunity. No, most of us go, oh no, that's so sad. We identify that's where I want to be, is that when this trial and this tribulation comes into my life that I say, hey, this is an opportunity to trust God. A person, a system, an organization is failing me. This is an opportunity for me to trust God. Or I want to I do extraordinary things. What's his expectation? Expectation? Money. Something you expect to happen. Something you expect to happen. His expectation was, we're, we're, we don't have money. We don't have the food. We're going to need the money. He's looking horizontal. How do I fix this problem in this world? What can I use of this world to fix this problem? And this is huge. What does Jesus say during the test? Oh, I love it. I love it, I love it, I love it. What does Jesus say during the test? So when I teach your hands out a test, teach your hands out the test, and generally speaking, 
the teacher is quiet. The teacher doesn't say much during the test. When Jesus gives a test, he goes, feed the people, lets them talk for a little bit. I don't know how long he let them talk. They fail the test. He comes in and saves the day. But during the test, what does he say? He's silent. Guys, this is so, so key. Many people leave the idea of a follower. They even leave the idea of being a fan and switch to, I don't know, because Jesus is quiet during a test. And they say, I guess he doesn't care. The disciples are on a boat. The boat's going down. They're like, Jesus is asleep. He's not asleep. Come on, he's not asleep. Jesus is asleep. He's testing them. And he's quiet. Because he's testing something. This is what we're going to see. This is so cool. He's testing something that's intrinsic in all of us. And he wants us to get this. The whole gospel, the whole mission was about us getting what separates a fan from a follower. It's not just fun tests for the sake of testing. So let's read on. I'm not doing so hot here. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign... Wait, let's stop right there real quick. Guys, do you get the imagery? you get the imagery there? Takes these loaves. Turns them into more than enough food to fill everyone up, to overflowing, to have leftovers. Do we see an imagery for life and life abundant? Do we see an imagery for the cup flowing over? Do we see the imagery of him saying, I'm the bread of life? This was all on purpose, guys. He was trying to get them to see something. This wasn't just a miracle to feed them. He wanted them to understand that not only am I the bread of life, but you're going to have so much life and life abundant. It's going to overflow into other people. You're going to have leftovers. This is what he wanted the followers to get. So cool. So this is, this is how the people respond. And I'm so thankful that they didn't all respond so great because I'm like, oh, there's comfort and there's a chance for me. Uh, after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountaintop. Uh, the people aren't doing so hot here. Why did they want to make him king by force? Why would they want to do that? The very thing that Jesus is testing is the very thing they keep failing. If we can make Jesus king, all of our earthly problems are going to go away. I mean, we'll get bread forever. We don't have to worry about famine. We don't have to worry about drought. This guy produces bread on the fly, on over in abundance. We're going to be a powerful nation. What are they thinking? Jesus can make this life pretty comfortable. And Jesus sensed that in their hearts. And so what does he do? I didn't come to make this life comfortable. That's not why I came. And he withdraws. What makes a fan? A fan makes a follower a follower. What separates the two? So, focus was off, imagery. Second test. Here we go. Love this. Okay. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake of Capernaum. 
Anytime we see water in the New Testament, we should just play the da-da-dum. <laughs> water equals test time. Never goes well. I mean, if I was a disciple, I wouldn't get back in a boat. Water is not, not a good thing for these people by now. So this is, this is test number two. This is the retake. They failed the first exam. This is the second exam. Jesus is trying to point them to something. Here we go. By now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I! Do not be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat. And immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. This is really cool. So um, based on the size of the lake that we know that it was back then and where they had gone, they were in the middle of the lake. They had about another three or four miles to go. Jesus gets in the boat and bing, they're on dry land. The next day the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples. Ah, oh, they're scheming here. But that they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that, neither Jesus nor his disciples were there. They got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. That's scripture. Okay, that's the water. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, because he knows their hearts. Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. You were in search of me, not for life and life abundant, not for who I am, but because I met a physical need. And you want the physical need met again because you're looking for earthly comfort. That is why you search me. Recognizing their hearts, look what he says. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Here we go, guys. Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So you can see that. I can see them getting a little excited. Okay. God said to work for eternal food. We can do something physically on this earth. We're going to be able to, to manually work for eternal food. What is the one work we can do? So here's the one work. And God affirmed, Jesus affirms this. The one work. He says work. Trust. Believe in the one who sent you. So what separates a fan from a follower? Jesus is saying, listen, you want to trust in things you can see. I'm asking you to have faith that I will provide far and above your expectations. I'm going to fill your soul up. You won't care if you have bread in your pantries when you're following me. He's asking for them to put their faith in Jesus, not in just an eternal security kind of way. He's asking for them to put their faith in him in a daily sense, in the sense that everything you face on a daily basis, you have the faith in the Lord that he's going to provide for you. When you think it seems improbable, he's going to make it probable. 
And he's going to change the way you think. That's the kind of faith that he's asking for, the dependence on the Spirit. What is the opposite of faith? And here we get to the dividing of the follower and the fan. What is the opposite of faith? It's not doubt. Plenty of followers doubt it. The opposite of biblical faith is sight. The opposite of biblical faith is sight. When we want, we want to see it before we believe it. We want to see it before we follow it. Jesus said, can you believe it before you see it? And that's what I'm asking you to do. I want you to have faith in me so that you can have abundant life. All over scripture, when Jesus was here in the Gospels, he's trying to show them, if you follow me, it will be worth it. Okay. So, so they asked him, this is great. Oh, I love it. Such lost fans. Such lost fans. They're like Eagles fans. You ever get that sense that Eagles fans have no clue what it means to be a fan? Like, I'm an Eagles fan, right? Like, I'm not just an Eagles fan. I'm just saying, like, we hurt Santa. And I'm like, no, guys, that's not why we exist. We hurt Santa. Or someone gets injured, and we're like, yeah. I'm like, no, that's the wrong response. Like, we're really a lost group of fans. Um, but I am an Eagles fan, so. They asked him, what sign then will you give us that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? What? What sign will you give us, Jesus? What will you do? Are you kidding me? Guys, like, I just walked on water. I just provided bread for you. There's that story about the wine. Like, are you joking? A lost group of fans. So they go on this big discourse. They go on this big, big discourse. We're not going to get into it. It's a lot of verses. And basically in this discourse, what Jesus is saying to them is he's giving them all kinds of imagery about how he is the bread of life. And they're going to have to eat of his body and drink of his blood if they're going to follow him. And a bunch of people really started not liking Jesus. We see a bunch of people in this discourse go from fan to I don't even care. And they walk away. I don't like this message at all. And he's talking about, it's going to take a trust to believe that I am the Messiah that can provide life and life eternal, and I don't want to be king. And I don't want to provide bread for you all the time like that. I want to provide eternal life for you first. That is who I am. And so the people are wildly un... uh, do do not like his message at all. And here's where we get to where the rubber meets the road is that people started leaving. All of his followers started leaving because he wasn't really interested in fans. And then we get to the, this last part, and Peter saves us here. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. You don't want to leave too, do you? Why did he ask that question? Because they were thinking about leaving. They were thinking about leaving Jesus. They're like, this isn't working. This isn't popular. It's not going the way we thought. And they were thinking about his heart. And he asked the question, you don't want to leave too. And then Peter saves us. Peter gets it. And he sends us the message. Check this out. Simon Peter answered him and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? To whom shall we go? He got it. If you don't follow Jesus... You are going to follow something. If you don't follow Jesus, you're going to follow someone. 
You don't just go in limbo. You, something will take that place and you will follow it. And Peter got that. And he realized, even though this is unpopular, even though this hurts, even though I don't get this on an earthly sense, if we don't follow the one talking about eternity, talking about eternal life, talking about filling us up abundantly, we are going to follow something else, and I don't want to do that. You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. And so Peter says, even though in this moment I am very uncomfortable and this is hurting me, I can't not follow you because I'm going to follow something else. <coughs> Peter passes the test. How many fail? Left the fame category. Because they got it wrong. They thought Jesus was here to produce loaves and fishes and to be an entertainment and to give them what they needed. There was this girl, I was a house parent, uh, me and my wife were house parents at Christ Homes, and uh, we would just, we had infants and toddlers, we had littles, these littles, we would parent these littles, we had six littles and two of our own. And every morning we'd open up with the Psalms. We read that psalm. We tried to dumb it down for him. We tried to make it really simple. And we read the psalms that uh, David wasn't going to trust in horses. He wasn't going to trust in chariots. He wasn't going to trust in swords. He wasn't going to trust in warriors. He wasn't going to trust in the systems of the world. He was going to put all his trust in the Lord. And the Lord wasn't going to let him down. So... We, we, we talked about what that might look like in our day. We pray about it. And then me and my wife would actively look for times to, you know, insert it during the day. You know what we talked about? Not to trust in the fact that you might get what you want, blah, blah, blah. And then later that day, something so simple happened. They're lining up, and this other boy comes running in, and he shouts this girl in him. And he runs forward, and he takes her bike. They're all lined up to go out to get their bike. She was first, and he shoves and pushes her down. And I am mad. Um, I'm and first concern for her, so I go to her. He's off there. I'm like, he is gonna get his. And I go to her and I go, I, I kneel down. I'm like, oh my goodness, sweetie, that was so wrong. It shouldn't happen. And she looks up at five years old. I said, it's okay, Uncle Nick. I don't need to go first. I don't need my bike. My trust is in the Lord. And I think he's going to make it all right. And I think he already is because my heart is happy that I didn't need those things to feel good. But this girl is teaching me in this moment. Because now I'm thinking about what I deserve, what's due to me. And she got it. It took this innate trust in the Lord that, you know what, he's going to, yeah, I lost that. Yeah, this didn't go so well. I lost that relationship. I lost that job. I thought life here would be different. But you know what? He's going to... My hope comes from the Lord. He's going to make this better. And that is rewarded with a peace in your heart that surpasses all understanding. And it's a courage to go out there and to give it to those who don't have it. Are we fans or are we followers? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much adoration, praise, and worship for him. That you are the king that conquered death. 
so that we could live in this world and have an expectation of eternity. We could be thinking about the life after here. We could live our lives in such a way that when we get to heaven, you say, well done, good and faithful servant. And we see what that means in heaven. If we, I bet that if we could see what living like a follower was like in this world, what that equaled in heaven, I get the feeling, God, that all of us would be running out to sacrifice. We'd be running out to give away our life on this earth. We'd be running out to give away our reputation, to give away respect just for your glory, just for your fame, because we would want to live in such a way with an eternal mindset. But you required faith and you required trust. God, we plead. We plead for you to move in our hearts and to teach us, to speak to us, to open our eyes in ways that man can't, open our eyes in ways that this world can't, and I pray that you would make us different with the power of your Holy Spirit. I thank you for your death and your resurrection on the cross that made it possible. The Holy Spirit came that we can call upon it for the power that's needed to be transformed, to be a follower. And it takes a raw dependence, Lord. Calling upon that now. Thank you so much, Lord, for resurrecting us. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. Intro music by bensound.com. Visit us online at crossroads-cc.org.